0: Thanks, Todd. Well, normally during the prayers of the people, we, we receive the offering. So why don't we do that now as well as, and this is going to be a, a challenge for those of you who um, have locomotion disorder. Um, I feel like you are way out there. And as, as a former teacher, um, that way out there means nothing but trouble. Those are the kids that uh, you really need to have a finger on because it's like they're nothing but trouble. So let's let's practice this. Even the band can try this for once. Huh? Who knows? I don't know. Why don't we try to move a little closer? And while you're standing up and moving a little closer, why don't you introduce yourself to somebody that you don't know, somebody that you missed over the past week, um, and just encourage them. So last little bit of offering – And we're going to try this. Here we go. Come on. Ready, set, go. Move on up. There you go. Front row is always open. Come on. Come on, band. You can do it. Good. Good. All right. I'm impressed. You can stay right where you're at, Brad. Uh, Introduce yourself. Say hi. Hello. Love on people. Hugs and kisses. Kisses. We're doing well. I feel like we should just take down some chairs while we're at it. You got front row seat by my wife. (laughs) This is the choir right here. The amen section. Way to go, band. I'm impressed. All right. I I don't know how many of you have. um, Well, well, let's just do this. How many of you have ever taken uh, a family trip, like across the nation? Okay, or or to Indiana? You know. Okay. Good. Good. I'm impressed. Um, How many of you have ever? I want you to think back to your your childlike stages, which wasn't yesterday for people like Casey, but your those days where mom would say, "Okay, let's go to the grocery store." Is there is there a different reaction between let's go to the grocery store and let's go to Florida? Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You get that. The, no. I was a little fat kid. That day? No. I'd
1: rather
0: go to Georgia. First step of recovery. Welcome to Missy O'Day as a little fat kid. Well, that, what do I do with that? <laughs> they they Move on. Move on. One of the things that I have noticed uh, since being a parent for five years is that um, going on little trips to like Jewel or running errands, the kids, there's this uh, kind of this reluctancy, this, okay, if we got to do it, we got to do it. You know, it's not as much fun going up and down the 20 aisles of Jewel and mom and dad having that list of things. You know, it would be a different thing if it was a free-for-all and we can get all the fruit snacks that we want or the Oreos or whatever you want. But when mom and dad have an agenda, it's like, I don't really, can we go? Are we done yet? You know, that's something that you hear from Grace or Isaac especially, our little Isaac. I love him. He's my best friend, but he's my worst enemy. You know, he's this little boy that he's all excited and then all of a sudden he realizes, oh, daddy, can we go home? But then if you talk about going to Florida, this past March, our family took a nine-day vacation and flew to Florida. The excitement of going to a destination was just totally different. You know, for weeks, we were packing for this this trip because we are going to Florida. It was like the the Jerusalem, you know, it was the the place, the destination of all places. It's like... I can't wait. We're going to go to the ocean. We're going to go swimming. We're going to go pick up shelves. We're going to go see birds. We're going to go see this. We're going to, it's jabber, 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 jabber. And it's all this, can we do this, Mom, when we get there? Mom, can we do this? Dad, can we do this? And it's these kids, the excitement as we're going to a destination far away is just exciting. Totally different than when you're going to Jewel. or if you've got to go do this errand or go pick up Sissy at, at preschool. This morning, we're going to look at Mark chapter 10. And so I want to encourage you, jump to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to be looking, starting at verse uh, 32. And I think it's up here, page 846. If you need a Bible, grab one along the edge, pass it in to friends and family, people that you introduced yourself to. And in this section, we, we see here in Scripture this morning, This kind of a trip of the expectation of going somewhere. Jesus is now heading with His disciples. He's picking them up and saying, okay, we are going now towards Jerusalem. This is the place. And for any Jewish person during that time, or even today, Jerusalem is the city of David. This is the place where the temple is. This is the place where we go and we worship God. This is where we have those solemn ceremonies and these jubilant celebrations where just they just dance and they enjoy each other and there's great fellowship, lots of eating and lots of drinking. And there's also times of deep repentance as individuals and communities. So going towards Jerusalem is an exciting thing. And Jesus is taking His disciples and saying, We're going to Jerusalem. But listen to see if this is the Florida kind of trip that my kids thought of. Starting at verse 32. When they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was happening to him what was to happen to him saying see we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after 3 days he will rise And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Sounds like a kid's request, doesn't it? Dad, I want you to do whatever I want. Yeah, right. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one on your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, that, the cup that I drink you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, heard it they became, began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus said to them called them to him, and said to them, "You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you." But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give His life as a ransom for many. This was not the Florida trip. It was, it was thought in the early days that the, the Messiah, the promised one, the, the new king, the one that would save Israel from all the troubles of Rome and all these oppressors from outside would take his throne again in Jerusalem. And the disciples who had been walking with Jesus for some two plus years were walking with the one that they believed to be the Messiah. And there was something in their heart that was saying, I can't wait, but I'm amazed at what He's saying. I can't wait, but there were some that were even afraid, that were scared of what was going to happen when they arrived in Jerusalem. And Jesus is walking the road. And it says that He is leading them, that He is walking in front of them as their chief example on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to the cross. Jesus is walking His last few steps before He is crucified. And the disciples are walking behind going, what is going to happen? And he must have sensed that there's some kind of fear, anticipation, some confusion of what's going on. Because he pulled them aside and said, listen, this is what's going to happen when I get to Jerusalem. And I'm sure inside of them they were hoping for some kind of good news. That it's like, okay, listen, when we first get there, we're going to enter into the temple and we're going to have some kind of religious coup. We're going to take over, and I'm going to announce that I'm the Messiah, and everything. We're going to restore the, the original kingdom, and it's going to be the glory days. It's going to be the kingdom of that has been promised, and it, it's just going to be a party. That's probably what they were anticipating. But Jesus said, "Now listen. When we get to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be handed over to the chief." priests, the religious leaders of the day and they are going to condemn me to death and then it's going to escalate to the world stage and I am going to be handed over to the Gentiles I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles where they are going to brutalize me they're going to kill me They're going to spit on me. They're going to flog me. They're going to scourge me. They're just going to beat the living daylights out of me. And if you listen to that, that does not quite sound like the celebration that they were anticipating. They were hoping probably for something very victorious, very celebratory, very rich, very, oh my gosh, that's a Florida trip. I can't wait till we get there. But if anything, it probably increased the anxiety level. And this is not just a historical story. This is not just Jesus retelling or foretelling what's going to happen. This is a story for the church, for you and me, for us as a church, Missio Dei, to really look at and say, what is Jesus saying discipleship looks like? What does it mean to follow after the Christ? The Redeemer, the Savior, the hope for the world. What does it look like in our marriages, in our relationships, in how we deal with one another in ministry, in life, in the workplace? What does it look like for us to follow closely after Jesus to the cross? Because Scripture says that each of us need to take up our cross and follow Him. So, what does it look like for each of us to follow after Jesus as He enters into Jerusalem? What does it look like for you and your marriage? Very quickly, we can jump to the end and just you know read that last section of forty-two to forty-five and go. Well, there's the cure. Well, we, this is this needs to be our relationship. But we need to read the other words of Scripture because it's very clear that Jesus has some teaching that has got to be laid out for His disciples because apparently they didn't get it. And here's the thing, as I sat in this, I realized very quickly that I didn't get it. Seminary trained, been a Christian a a good chunk of my life, raised in a Christian home, you know, I even went to a Christian schools as a kid, you know, parochial school schools. You know, I should get it. But these are the people that walked with Jesus Christ, that they, they slept near him, and he taught them, he was intensely in their life, and they didn't get it. Jesus just puts it out there and says, listen, we're going there, the chief priests and scribes, They're going to condemn me to death. And then they're going to deliver me over to the Gentiles. And they're going to mock me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to flog me. And they're going to kill me. After three days, I'll rise from the dead. And immediately after that, just proof that they didn't get it, James and John come before Jesus and say, Master, would you grant our request? And Jesus goes, well, what is it that you're asking? I'd like to sit on your right hand. I want that good spot. And my brother, we've been kind of bickering back and forth, so we flipped a quarter or a denarii, and uh, we said, uh, he, gets, he gets the left. I get the right, you get, he gets the left. And we're hoping that when you become king, when you become Messiah, I get this spot and." He gets this spot. And Jesus goes, you idiots. You don't get it. Do you, and I love how he just lays it out here. He goes, um, you do know, do not know what you are asking. You have no clue what you're asking for. You are asking for prestige and honor and these the seats, you know. And it's, it's all this picture of a king in his court. On his right hand, he has his first assistant. On his left hand, he has this assistant. And these people are sitting with the king in places of prominence. And Jesus says, you have no clue what you're asking for. You have no clue what it is that you're asking for. And you don't know what it looks like to be in my kingdom. To be In the kingdom of God. The reign of Jesus Christ. You have no clue. Are you ready to drink from this cup? And to participate in this baptism? And they're going, oh yeah. We can do it. We can do that. We're ready to drink the cup and participate in that baptism. And in their head they're thinking, in In the Old Testament, there's two different pictures of of the cup. There's the cup of blessing, a cup of joy, a cup of celebration that is talked about throughout the Old Testament. But predominantly, it's a cup of suffering, a cup of infliction. And Jesus goes, you're thinking of the wrong cup. And they're also thinking about a certain kind of baptism. They watched John the Baptist baptize people under the water. They watched this this baptism of repentance. They're going, "Yeah, we're we're ready to repent." And Jesus is going, "Yeah, it's different because the baptism that I am going to be participating in is the going down under. I'm going to die." I'm dying. I'm going to die. Are you ready to participate in that kind of baptism where you need to take up your cross and follow me? Where you are willing to die to yourself, your wants, your needs, your desire for prestige, your desire for power, your desire for this or that. Henry Nouwen. Why don't you put that one up there for me, Christine. Henry Nouwen said this, the long, painful history of the church is the history of people ever and again tempted to choose power over love, control over the cross, being a leader over being led. Isn't that the story of the church? And even for us, even in our relationships, that we would rather choose power, control over love, and sacrifice. That we would rather choose controlling people than the way of the cross. That we would rather be a leader to be up front, be the one that does this kind of stuff, which nobody really wants, but inside you kind of crave because you like being the leader instead of being led. And Jesus is taking those steps and leading His disciples to the cross. And He says, this is what discipleship is. This is what it means to follow after Me. What it means to take up your cross and die to your wants, to your needs. Jesus is is laying it very clear that discipleship is not just this nice, Fluffy, I gave my life to Jesus and everything's gonna be hunky dory and peaches and creams and a bed of roses. Life following Jesus, although deeply rewarding and filled with joy, is also a life of continually dying to me, dying to my wants, my needs. My desires, and putting the desires of Jesus Christ over them all, and say that is the filter for which I look at my life, that I look at my my friends, my neighbors, the people that I don't know, the people that I work with. It's the desires of Christ, and I look through that as the filter of how I view them, because that's how Jesus Christ looked at the world. It even says that he was willing to pay a deep price. He was willing to put his life on the line for the sake of humanity. It says, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to, to grant those things, I I, I can't do that. that. That's up to my Father that... That's his responsibility. But let me tell you about what it means to be a follower of mine, to be a disciple. And I'm always leery about saying that I'm a Christian because it has these weird connotations. It just basically, a lot of times, means that you go to church, you show up on Sunday, you do your religiosity kind of thing. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm a disciple. I am learning what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to die to Paul so that my wife is a better woman, that she's deeply cared for, so that my children get to know who Jesus Christ is more deeply and more intimately because of the love that we share, the love that I share with Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. That I learn to put my wants, my needs aside so that I can serve Dina Anderson and love her and care for her as a sister in Christ. And I do that for people that I don't know. Because you know what? God views them as precious, beautiful, wonderfully created people. So how do I interact with people I don't know? As Christ would interact with them. As Christ would love them. And not as people for me to one-up, to take a step, and to become greater, like James and John wanted. They didn't quite get it. God's will for this kingdom, the kingdom of God, looks very different than our American society. Than even what the church looks like today. And even for us. We don't got it figured out. I'll tell you, if you want to find a church that you think has it together... You're in the wrong place. We don't have it together. I'll tell you that right now. I have, I've messed up. We've messed up. We've dropped the ball. We're trying to figure it out. But you know what? We're still learning. And we're trying to figure it out. And Jesus says, this, this is what American society looks like. Look at verse 42. Jesus called them to Him and said, Listen, boys, listen up. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles... In other words, those people over there, lord it over them. In other words, they take their authority and say, I'm the boss. That's my job. Listen to me. And I'm going to lord it over you. Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. Need a little production. Even in churches. Have you ever heard those? I remember hearing those kind of sermons. Where it was always the beginning or shortly before the new church season begins, which is always in September. When the school season starts, we need, we need Sunday school uh, helpers. So you get that guilt sermon. And the pastor is up there kind of giving you the giddy up. It's time for y'all to step it up. Let's go. And she's saying, listen, hold on. The Gentiles practice that. Where they kind of lord it over saying, I'm I'm the chief. By my authority or by my ability to guilt you, I want you to move. And then he says, but there's even another layer. That there's those who are in charge of them who are even more powerful and even more power hungry. You say, listen, you who tell them to do stuff, you do what I want. My bidding. And then Jesus says this, but it shall not be so among you. I'm flipping the whole table. It's not about control. It's not about power. It's not about who is the chief dog, who's sitting on the left and who's sitting on the right. That's not what it's about in my kingdom. In fact, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. That's a lot of pressure. And that's honestly, that scares the living daylights out of me. Because as I read this, Jesus is doing some heart work on me. Whoever is first, whoever is leading, who's taking the the path to the cross, and it's calling other people, as I follow Christ, follow me, he's saying, you must be a servant to everybody. You must be the servant to all. All. Not just those people that I love, my family, my kids, my close-knit group of friends, but I'm called to be a servant of all. If anyone aspires to leadership, it's a noble task. But Jesus says here, you must be a servant to all people because that is what it looks like in my kingdom. And then Jesus goes on and says, this is how, I'll show you the ultimate example of how I am the leader of all, but the servant of all. Where I'm, I'm taking the, the lead, I'm the first one out there, I'm the head of the pack, but you know what, I'm serving all of you. And he, he wraps it up here with verse 45. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, he's talking about himself, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. And in the Greek it's talking about everything, the totality of him all. His entire being. He's giving his whole life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, "Listen, I've come to pay a price For you. And it's not just some cheap change that I can throw out. I'm giving my whole life. I'm giving my my whole life. And if you look, uh, there's uh, Isaiah 53. This is uh, in Isaiah, the chapter that's kind of talked about as the suffering servant. And this is, we, go, go to the next one. Uh, 53 10 there you go yet it was the will of the father to crush him doesn't that sound awful the will of god the father was to crush jesus christ and he has put him to grief and jesus saying listen as as the lead servant as the one the messiah the promised one God is crushing me. I'm taking on the weight of humanity. I'm taking all the sin. I'm taking all the sorrows. I'm taking all the brokenness. I'm putting it on me. God is putting this on me because that's my role, my responsibility. That's the Messiah, the promised one who is here to redeem your life, to save you from your junk, your crap, whatever it is. He's come to save you. Save you from wherever you are at, your your brokenness in your marriage, your brokenness in your relationship, your brokenness in your finances, your brokenness at your deepest place, your brokenness from your relationship with God. He's come carrying the weight. Isaiah 53 6 says this We all, we all like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us. We have turned. Every one. To his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus Christ. On him. The iniquity. The weight of sin. And Jesus says. You want to talk about what it means to be a leader? To be great in the kingdom? It's about serving. That's. That's my economy. It's serving one another. And He says that He will give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus, Jesus says, listen, I will be bearing for sinners what they cannot bear for themselves. I will take the brunt of it all. I will take... What they cannot carry. And that, honestly, is not just sin, it's the wrath of God. Because God is holy, and He wants nothing in His presence other than holiness, perfection, and beauty. And each of us has gone our own way. We, we think that this is gonna solve our problems. It's, if I just get this girlfriend, or if I get this job, if I get this kind of thing, if I do this, or if I do this, if I do that, and we, we all go our own way trying to be our own gods, our own figure it outers. We, we, Consult Oprah, and she has the best thing. Nope, we go to Dr. Phil. He has the best thing. Nope, we open up this magazine. He has, this, has, this article is great. If I take this survey, it tells me that I've got to do this. We've all gone our own way. We all think that we can figure it all out. And Jesus goes, no, there's no way. You're still broken. At your very nature, you are broken. And I will carry it all. And if you place your trust in Me, if you place your trust in Me, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, if He's Master of your life, if He is the controlling factor of everything, there now is hope. Because God sees you not as an object of wrath, but as a new creation holy, blameless in His sight. And Jesus took this cup voluntarily. He willingly went to the cross and He said to His disciples, You have yet to experience death and resurrection dying to yourself and new life with me. It is a costly nature of following after Jesus. Costly. J.C. Ryle says, says this about, about that issue. There is a common worldly kind of Christianity in this day, which many have and think they have enough a cheap Christianity which offends nobody and requires no sacrifice, which costs nothing and is worth nothing. Following after Jesus is costly. It's costly because He is asking for everything. Like, if you were here last week, last week we talked about Oh no, what's my favorite guy? Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon says that Jesus wants, does not want half of a man. He doesn't want a shell of a man. He doesn't want this this pretty exterior. He wants the whole. He wants the everything. And so following after Jesus is deeply costly. But at the same time, it's deeply beautiful and rewarding. Because you know what? How he created us originally to be beautiful in the image of God. It costs much. Cost much for our Savior, Jesus Christ, as He paid the price. He was the price for our freedom. He paid the ransom that set me free. And you know what? Here's the deal. I am a work in progress. I'm a piece of work. I like that. My wife would agree. He's a piece of work. But here's the reality. Every day, I'm dying a little bit more to my selfishness. Every day, I'm dying a little bit more to my my needs. Every day I'm I'm dying a little bit more to this, to that. And every day I'm becoming more and more like the one who saved me. And for men, I think it's hardest for you. I really do. Because we're achievers, aren't we? I can do it. I'm good enough, smart enough, by golly, people like me. If I work hard enough, you know, Stuart Smalley, thank you. Uh, you know, so there's that thing inside of us. That if I just work a little bit harder, if I do this a little bit more, if I achieve this, if I win this woman over, I can do this, I can do that. Can, you know, and we got this, this achieving workaholic kind of thing. And Jesus goes, no, you don't get it. You can't do it. It's impossible. It's impossible. You need to submit your life to Jesus Christ. And that is where true hope and true life and beginning of renewal begins. That is where it begins. So, man, it requires far more work, I believe, for us to follow after Jesus. To be willing to say, to be first, I must be last. where I put my needs behind me, put the needs of the kingdom ahead of me, the needs of my family ahead of me, my needs, the needs of lost people ahead of me, to be a servant to everyone you imagine what would happen to our marriages, our relationships, our world, our workplaces, if we all practice that? And saying, and Jesus, he's, he's the chief example on the road ahead of me. I'm following closely after him. I'm watching what Jesus is the primary example for my life of dying for the sake of the world. And I'm going to practice that dying to me for the sake of my family, for the sake of this church, for the sake of this community, for the sake of the Lincoln Way community, for the sake of the South Side of Chicago, for the sake of the city, for the sake of Illinois, for the sake of the United States, for the sake of the world, I'm dying to me, so that by all possible means some might be saved. I'm willing to die serve as Jesus served. We're going to celebrate communion. And here's the beautiful thing about communion. Is that communion is is a picture of Jesus Christ and the work that He has done. The servant of all, according to Philippians, left the Godhead and put on flesh. He became nothing. Nothing. He lived the perfect life which none of us can ever live to pay the price which none of us could ever pay so that we all can have new life. He gave His body as a sacrifice. His blood was shed that we see in the cup. His blood was shed so that we can have life. So that our blood does not need to be shed. Communion is a celebration of Christ's work in our life. And because it's a celebration of Christ's work in our life, it is a special meal that is set aside for those who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and is willing, are willing to submit our lives continually in an ongoing way to Him. If you have not yet given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never confessed before men and women and children that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, I just want to encourage you, sit back, watch, listen. Listen. Ask questions later. Because this is a, a meal to celebrate Jesus' work in our personal and corporate lives. But if you have confessed with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you know that this is true. That on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after he broke it, he said, Disciples, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, the one who's going to the cross, who has paid it all. In the same way, after the meal, he took the cup, the cup of blessing, and as he was pouring it out, he said, this cup that i pour is a cup of blessing and a new covenant in my blood do this in remembrance of me of the work that i've done and celebrate what i have done do this in remembrance of me your leader your savior your messiah We celebrate this by means of intinction, which basically means you take a piece of bread, the body of Christ, broken for you, dip it in the cup, the blood of Christ poured out for you, and you eat it. During this time, we ask you to come up when you are ready. After you've confessed before Christ the sins of your life, Maybe saying again, Jesus Christ, I give you my all. My relationships, my time, my heart, my my eyes, what I see, what I hear. Lord, I submit that again to you. And during this time, we also receive a second offering. It's called benevolence. Which out of joy, we give back to the Lord for those who are in need in our community. Just like we were in need. Before Christ. And He has paid the price. So come. All things are ready.